Well, good morning. So great to be with you here today in the auditorium and with our church service in the venue today as they get started. I was just over in the venue for a couple moments and was amazed at the number of people that are there already and great first service. If you haven't had a chance to check out the changes in that room, they really are stunning and uh, we've noted this already, but we do want to say thank you to the many who have helped make that room a possibility both through your financial gifts and the volunteer service that so many have put in to um, help that come into being. It's really exciting, and it is a stunning new offering for our church. As Kelsey just noted in the announcements, uh, this is a good time for us to use that little tear-off portion in the edge of your handout to let us know that you're here today, and if you have any questions about the church, if you have any new update information that you'd like to share with us, please let us know that on that tear-off portion, then just put it at the communication cards. Uh, boxes in the back of the auditorium or at the information center is another place though, that you can put that. That's a really good way as well for you to follow up with us if you're looking for a way to get involved here, if you're looking for a small group, a life group to get involved with, a care ministry, you're looking to serve in some way. We know that last week we had uh, dozens and dozens of people sign up for ministries at our ministry expo. But if you don't yet have a ministry here of some kind, we'd love for you to consider being involved. You don't have to sign up for good, but maybe you want to sign up for uh, giving something a try for a few months, be it in our storehouse or in our children's ministries or ushers or greeters, uh, our tech ministries. A number of our different ministries could use an extra hand right now as we continue to grow, and so we appreciate your prayerful consideration of that. Again, you can simply fill out that tear-off portion Bring it to the information table after the service, and we'll get someone back in touch with you and make it really easy for you if you choose to, say, for example, serve with our preschoolers even a couple times a month. It could be any number of different areas. Just let us know if you're interested, and we will uh, give a good springboard for you to get involved. Okay, well, this morning, well, we're going to kind of ramp up for the fall, and as was noted already, we will have a new series started starting next week, but uh, this morning as we wind down summer and ramp up to the fall, I'd like to just speak for a few moments today about what makes us a unique church, uh, what gives us our special sauce, if you will. Every church has its own special sauce. Did you know that? Just as McDonald's has its own special sauce, so also every church has its own identity, its own special sauce. What is that special sauce at McDonald's? Anyone know? I think it's a Thousand Island dressing with a third piece of bread on a burger that looks like that and maybe some Happy Meals and a couple Golden Arches. That's kind of what makes McDonald's McDonald's, right? I can't believe I'm talking about fast food in a sermon. Please forgive me. But they have this special sauce that becomes part of their identity, part of who they are. And every church mirrors McDonald's in this one way. Like it or not, accidental or purposeful, every church has some kind of special sauce, some kind of specific identity that people think of us and they say, this is what they're about. And some churches kind of just accidentally fall into that special sauce, accidentally fall into those identity markers. For some, it's an accidentally falling into, we're going to be the right church, a little bit more right than all the rest. Or we're going to be the left church, 
a little bit more progressive than all the rest. Or we're going to be a church that never changes. Two, four, shut the door. We don't want any more because they might bring in some change. Or some churches go at it in a much more purposeful manner. And they intentionally become a church that is seeker-sensitive, seeker-oriented. Or they intentionally become a church that has the very best youth group around to serve the needs of kids. Or the very best children's ministry around to serve the needs of children. Again this morning, I'd like to suggest a few identity markers that hopefully you can anticipate from Carney E. Free Church that whenever you come in here, uh, you'll find. These won't be comprehensive, and if you're a newcomer here, hopefully you'll find much more than this as well, but I really hope that if you're new or you've been around here for a year or 10 or 20 or 30 years, you would find that this is a church that is characterized by these identity markers that serve to speak volumes about who we are and what we are seeking to become here at Carney E. Free Church. Here's the first one. We are all in process. None of us have arrived. And so we're gracious to one another. We seek to be gracious to one another because we recognize none of us have arrived at the destination of Christ. If you're new here this morning, I want you to know that you have entered a no religious experts zone. There are no religious experts in this room. There is no one on this stage who has arrived. We are all in process of growing to become a little bit more like Christ ourselves. Now, to be sure, some of us have more experience than others with prayer. Some of us feel a little bit more comfortable with things like Bible study than others. Some of us have more ministry experience in which we've served others in the church more than other people have. And all of that is welcome. We really believe, though, that in this room, everyone has something to offer, but no one has everything to offer. None of us are experts. Indeed, the Bible tells us this plainly. Romans 12, verse 3 is such a beautiful verse. It says, By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather each one of us should think of ourselves with sober judgment. Oh, so powerful that we wouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. We wouldn't think we have everything to offer. But we would recognize that we do have something to offer. We would evaluate ourselves with a sense of sobriety, a sense of sober judgment that we are all in process. None of us have arrived. We are seeking to become a little bit more like Jesus. And we all need the same gospel of Christ's sacrifice and his unconditional acceptance and none of us gets over the need for that. Indeed, it's a well that we go back to on a day-in and day-out basis that we would receive from him, and as we receive from him, we move to become a little bit more like him, even understanding completely that we've never completely made it. Our mission statement captures this really well. You'll see it up on the screen, and I'd like to ask that we would read it together, both here in the auditorium and in the venue. Would you please join me in reading our mission statement? We are building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. We're building this. We're not there. We haven't completed it. And we are growing into this. 
Again, we have not arrived. We're seeking a transformational community. We're seeking transformation with Christ ourselves, but we are far from getting there on our own. And the truth is that people who believe that they have arrived at what Christ wants them to become, those are people that really have problems. Those are the folks who actually have something coming to them. They're going to get some humble pie pretty quickly if they think that they have arrived at all that Christ expects. The moment you believe that you have arrived at what Christ expects, that you have become a mature follower of Christ, you actually have ceased to be one. Seriously. The moment we think that we're there, we've ceased to actually be mature. There are at least three dangers that I can think of to believing that we have arrived at spiritual maturity. The first one is this. Arrival uh, tends to breed this sense of self-sufficiency. If you think that you're wise, then you don't seek out the wisdom of others. If you don't regularly look into the mirror and notice the warts that you have, you won't see the value of confessing your sin. And if you don't regularly confess your own sin, then why do you really need a Savior? Yes, you may have needed Him yesterday at some point when you gave your life to Christ, and you might need Him in the future when you are glorified with Christ and you go to Him in heaven, but, but can you really say that you need a Savior today if we operate with self-sufficiency? That's the first great danger of having arrived. A second significant danger of believing that we have arrived at a level of adequate spiritual knowledge or adequate spiritual maturity is this, it's self-righteousness. When I believe that I'm there, it breeds a sense of self-righteousness in me. And I tend to think that I have it together and other people don't. I'm a cut above, which makes other people a cut below. And this self-righteousness, which happens so frequently in churches, unfortunately, tends to lead to a sense of uh, condemnation and judgmentalism and unrealistic standards that people just cannot meet. The sense that I have arrived leads me to correct other people, to look to correct other people as opposed to connecting with other people. Do you see the difference? We don't want to mostly correct other people. We want to mostly connect with others. And out of relationship, we can learn and grow more in the likeness of Christ together. Some churches, unfortunately, seem to operate this way. Like they believe it's their job to identify who is wrong and how to correct other people. And the trouble is, if you're new, you're just starting out in this spiritual life, you can quickly feel marginalized in such churches. Or if you've gone through a divorce... Or if you've gone through some kind of incredible heartache or you're in recovery because you've been addicted to something, you can quickly feel less than in those kinds of churches where many people seem like they have arrived or at least they're trying to suggest as much. And so we say far be it from us that we would ever portray that in this room or any room in this building. Can I please get an amen to that? Now finally... A third very real danger of believing that we have arrived is uh, we actually become more vulnerable to temptation. If you believe that you've arrived at a level of spiritual proficiency, you're actually more vulnerable to temptation. You get prideful, 
you think that you're spiritually healthy, and then you fail to keep fighting the daily war for purity. We fail to keep fighting the war to get, capture all of our thoughts and make them captive to the way of Christ. We fail to keep guarding our hearts. We let our guard down, and then the enemy has an easy segue into our lives. So in essence, this danger of believing that I've kind of made it, I can kind of go on to cruise control, leads us to these very three real dangers. Increased temptation, increased self-righteousness, and increased sense of self-sufficiency. The fact of the matter is, you and I remain a bit of a mess. No offense. And it's okay to admit I'm not okay. I don't have it together. I need prayers from my brothers and sisters. I need to give out help and I need to receive help. That's a very good thing for us to be in that place. It's part of the good news of Christ. The good news of Christ is not mere religion. The good news of Christ is the gospel that brings us into relationship with him and unconditional acceptance to him and a loving, vulnerable, transparent relationship with a few others. That's the good news that we are after here. Not the sense of arrival, but the sense of being grasped by Christ. He takes us right where we are. It's the good news of faith and the gracious God who is willing to have us as we are today. Okay, enough there. Second identity marker goes like this. We are proud of our God, not of ourselves. We're proud of our God. We're not of ourselves here at Carney E. Free Church. Do you have uh, certain verses that whenever you hear them, they just resonate with you with such authority that anytime you hear them, maybe you've memorized them, anytime they come back to your mind, that when they come into your mind, they just hit your soul, they hit you right in the chest? One of those verses for me is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. And it goes like this. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty man boast in his might, nor the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the Lord who operates with justice love, and righteousness in the earth. You see, we like to brag on God here, not on ourselves. And a verse like this brings us back to center in reminding us that whatever wisdom I might possess, whatever riches you and I might possess, whatever might we might possess, ultimately has its root, ultimately has its source somewhere else in God. Think about it. All that we have, we are responsible to steward, right? All the good things that we have, all the abilities, all the gifts that we have, we are responsible to steward, and so we need to develop those good things. But all that we have has ultimately come from some other source. Your parents taught you. You had teachers. You had coaches. You had pastors. You had doctors who helped you, who helped develop you. And before them, they had teachers, and they had parents, and grandparents who helped teach and develop them. And you were given skills that you were born with, and you had to cultivate those. And you go back and back, and they had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And who ultimately gave us all that we have? It's God Most High. It is God who has given all of the riches, all of the wisdom, all of the strength, 
all the intelligence, all the good looks that you all have, it came from God Most High. We recognize it came from another source. And ultimately, if we remember that on a day-in and day-out basis, it will prevent pride from percolating in our hearts, and it will increase the sense of humility and increase the sense of the greatness of God, which leads us to gratitude for all He has given. We want, in this room, to shine the spotlight on Him. We want His generosity, His good character, His justice, and His mercy to be revealed. I think of a story I heard many years back about the great heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali was known for many things. Humility was not one of them. But he was on an airplane, and uh, while he was on that private airplane, they started to encounter some mild turbulence. Have you ever been on an airplane and got mild turbulence? I don't know why anyone would ever call that mild. But anyway, he had some mild turbulence on this airplane, and so the flight attendant comes through the rows, and she's checking everyone's seatbelts, and she knows that Muhammad Ali's seatbelt is still not fastened. So she goes to Mr. Ali and says, Mr. Ali, would you please buckle your seatbelt? We are encountering some turbulence. To which he says to her, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she responds to him without missing a beat, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. Now, friends, we would never say something like that, right? We would never say something like that. But we might think something like that. I don't need a seatbelt. I don't need your advice. I don't need your prayer. I really don't need much of your help. I'm really put together pretty well all on my own. And that, my friends, is just a culturally acceptable form of pride. You look in contrast to that at the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, he was every bit the world champion of scholars that Muhammad Ali was. He was every bit the world champion. He was knowledgeable of both the Roman Empire and the Jewish world. He was a citizen of both worlds. He spoke three languages fluently. He was educated at the very best university of the day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, educated by the leading professor of the day. He came from the greatest lineage, the greatest tribe of Jewish people. He had everything in his corner. And then he says, after listing his sparkling resume with all of his great credentials, he says, all of that is rubbish. All of that is nothing compared to knowing the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ as Lord. We've been talking about this verse a lot in 2016. It's been a key verse for us, really the verse of the year that many of us have memorized though this year. It says simply, Paul says, instead of emphasizing all that I bring to the table, this is what I want to emphasize, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of His resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him even in His death. And so somehow, please, may it be that I might also attain to the resurrection of the dead and to become more like Him, that He would increase and I would become less, that it would not be about me. 
It would be about the exaltation of God. We are proud of God. We are not so proud of ourselves in this room. This is what the Apostle Paul was about, and this is what we want our church to be about as individuals, but also corporately, that we don't brag on ourselves. We say we need just a little bit more of Christ. Here at Carney Ephraim, we are not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. And here at Carney Ephraim, we are not ashamed of the power that rose Christ Jesus from the grave. We want to be identified with it. And here at Carney Ephraim, we are not ashamed of the suffering of the death of Christ Jesus. We want to be identified with the compassion of Christ, that he went all the way to the cross for us, and therefore we can bear up under our sufferings through his power in us as well. This is what we want to be known for. Now third, we are the possession of God. Here's our third identity marker. We are the possession of God, and so we value other people. We value one another because we know that we are the possession of God. Now, a number of, our fo- a number of folks on our leadership teams here at the church uh, had a wonderful opportunity a few weeks ago to go to the Global Leadership Summit. And the Global Leadership Summit is a collection of, of wonderful leaders who speak on leader- leadership from the business world and nonprofit world and also pastors and come together and you learn for a couple days. And one of the speakers well, was a man named John Maxwell, and he gave this, uh, this wonderful illustration for the crowd at Global Leadership Summit that I wanted to share with you. And it had resonance for a number of us in the room, but I wanted to share it with you today. And in order to bring it off with effectiveness, I need you to say a few lines with me. Would you please do that? Nodding heads in this room, in the venue. I know they're really nodding their heads right now. And they're all laughing with me right now, I hope. Okay, I need your help as I say a few lines. Please repeat after me, okay? God values me. God values you. I want you to look at a neighbor right now and tell your neighbor, God values you. Okay, I know that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> Get a little bit of a mumble, but God values you next to each other. <laughs> okay, God values people I don't know. You believe that, right? He values people in other countries, people in other towns that we don't know. He values people we don't know. Now, okay, one more. God values people I don't like. Okay, pretty good. I heard a few chuckles there. I heard a few groans there. The first few statements were stated with gusto. God values me. Oh, yeah, please. God values you. Yes, yes, please. God values even people I don't like. How about that? God values even people that you and I don't like. This is true. This is foundational to us here. And some of you are probably saying, well, Adrian, you don't know some of the people I don't like. (laughs) Maybe God doesn't know some of the people I don't like. The person sitting next to you, the person sitting five rows in front of you, the person down the street from you, The in-law you are thinking of is the most valuable thing you will ever meet. They are the most valuable thing you will ever meet. God values people. And, And so we value our programming here. We want to have great programs here. We value a tight budgeting process here. 
We value a great infrastructure here. All that is necessary for the church to thrive. We're grateful for our awesome buildings here. All that is necessary. But each of these things are merely means to the end of people. They're only means to the end of valuing people because those things actually will not last. What lasts is people. And so this is what we're about here is valuing people who are made in the image and likeness of God and helping them move a little bit more toward him. People is what we value here. So we have this goal here at the church that 80% of adults would be in a life group over the next year and a half. We desire to become a church of life groups because we believe that community is the context for life change. And as our church gets larger, it is so much more necessary that we simultaneously get smaller. And if you don't yet have a life group community, it is absolutely incredible. It's incredibly critical that you find that because you'll get lost in a crowd like this unless you have a small group that is encouraging you and challenging you and helping you to grow more into Christ. We want 80% at the very least. In fact, we want 100%. We want all of our adults to be in a life group. We want to become a church of life groups because that will be a place where life change happens. And we have these other different communities. We have other programming that we provide. Overflow for college-age students and Moms on Mission for young moms and Divorce Recovery and R3 Recovery Ministries. And they're all about helping people grow. They're all about helping people get a little bit more healthy, understanding the gospel a bit more, internalizing the gospel a bit more, that they would understand their embraced by Jesus Christ, their unconditional acceptance by Jesus Christ, and thereby get a bit more healthy in him. Let me share with you just one example of how this is happening here in this church. Several months ago, the storehouse ministry, which provides help and advocacy for poor people in our broader community, and they really seek to provide a hand up, not just a hand out. They provide great advocacy to actually help folks and um, in addition to the storehouse, they started these Circles of Hope groups. And they have two groups that have been started, a third one though that is about to be started. And uh, these are for women who come to the storehouse, and they may not feel comfortable in the church, but they feel comfortable over there. And we want them to know that they matter. We want to give them opportunities to grow there in that room. And listen to this wonderful description about the Circles of Hope group from storehouse director Justine Shetter. She said this, Six women signed up for the second group, four of whom are now attending. One lady stopped attending church over 10 years ago. Another lady is Seventh-day Adventist. And one woman, in her own words, says she wants to have nothing to do with the church. But she's happy to be there. Each one of these ladies took home a daily bread devotional and a How to Find God New Testament at their first gathering. And at that first gathering, they ate lunch together, and all the ladies opened up and jumped right in, sharing about their lives. They've continued to meet on a weekly basis since they started a couple months ago. One grandma raising her grandson shared how many struggles they were having with him. One of the other participants had work at ARC, which is an organization that helps people with disabilities. And she worked at ARC in the past, and she, so she offered the, this woman I'll help you go over to ARC and navigate that system. I won't tell you where it is. I'll go over to ARC with you. Do you hear the difference? I'll go over to ARC with you and help you navigate that system. And Justine explained, we love this story because it's women coming alongside women. 
We've learned, if we've learned nothing else over the past two years at Storehouse, we've learned that what is missing in our guests' and participants' lives is healthy, strong community that they can trust and rely on. They crave someone who will genuinely give them a listening ear and time. We all need the same things. We need to know that we are unconditionally accepted by God, that we could be the possession of God, and therefore we'd be valuable to others. Now, these women are the first to say that they weren't doing anything extraordinary. They were simply following the pathway of Jesus. Look at these simple words far from Jesus. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I'm, I'm coming to you to make my abode in you and with you. The Father and I are not willing to leave you as orphans. You value, we value you this much that we are coming to you. We want to bring you into our family. We're going to give the Holy Spirit to dwell with you, to dwell in you forevermore. And you're going to be adopted into the family of God, never left alone as orphans, adopted into his family. I am coming to you. I will not leave you as orphans. What a beautiful word this is for us. You think about who Jesus said this to in the original context back in John chapter 14. He's preparing his disciples for his coming crucifixion and then the gift of the Holy Spirit that will come to them. And he says this to ragamuffins like a doubter named Thomas and a denier named Peter and a betrayer named Judas. And so I hope we would take from that that he also would say to us, wherever we are today, no matter what state we are in today, that I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you to make my abode with you. You value, you're valuable to me. You're that valuable to me though that I'm coming to you. You, you matter to me. And therefore, you matter to my church. This is what we're trying to do here at Carney Free. We're trying to live into this very simple vision statement, which is three words. Every person matters. And you might say that's not much of a vision statement. That's, that's very simple. And it's intentionally simple. And we call it a vision statement, but because we fully admit we are not there yet. We're not yet at the place where we can definitively say every single person in this room, whoever comes here, they matter so deeply to God, they matter so deeply to us, and we show that no matter what. But we are aiming for it, friends. That's where we're going. We are aiming toward a vision statement where as large as we get, we're getting smaller, and we are showing that every single person matters in this room. Lord Jesus, would you grant us influence? Would you grant us the help to demonstrate to others this beautiful, special, tasty sauce that they matter to you and they matter to us? Now, let me just tell you how I do this. Part of my daily prayer is, God, would you give me an opportunity to show others that they matter to you? Would you give me an opportunity to encourage others? Would you give me an opportunity today to be an influence on others for good, to value others? 
I've shared before, I have a list of daily prayers that I go through in the front of my Bible every day. And one of those prayers is, God, show me who I need to encourage today. Show me who I need to add value to today, who I need to build up today. And I deeply believe, though, that if we're finding 15 minutes every day to be in the scriptures and to be in prayer, we will find that we are indeed the possession of God, we'll grow in relationship with God, and then we'll have much to give to other people. And so this is part of my methodology, part of my practice, to pray through this each and every day. I gotta tell you that the difference for me is this final point. It's knowing that I personally am the possession of God. If I don't know personally that I am the possession of God, I might add value to some of you for a couple weeks at best. But if I know that I'm the possession of God, if I know that I am the beloved of God, if I know that my identity is in him, if I'm going back daily to that well that never runs dry, then I will possess something which I then can give to others. And friends, the simple truth is, you cannot give away what you don't possess yourself. So go back to that well every single day to know where you get your value from. We get our value from God. We are possessed by God. And as we get our value from him, we can show other people we know, show other people we don't know, and even show other people we don't like that they're valuable to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. How we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you say we matter to you. That you would not leave us as orphans, but indeed you would adopt us into your family. By your death, we would be brought in to the Father's family. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come to us, that you have made your abode with us, and we know we are never alone. Father, we pray that these characteristics would be true of our church, that every single person in this room would know they matter so deeply to God, and therefore they matter to us, that we would live in this reality. We are the possession of God. We would see this as our identity. We're loved by God. We're valued by God. And as a result, we would be able to give it to others. I pray, Lord, that this whole community would know, both in this room and outside this room, in the broader town of Kearney, I pray people would know that when they think of this church, they would think, oh, the special sauce there is a remarkable form of love that is based on this truth. They know they are the possession of God, and therefore they, they value and they bless other people. May it be true in this room, in the venue, until all the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We give him all the praise. In Christ's name, amen.